Grace, mercy, and peace, these are yours from God our Father and Christ our King. Dear Christian friends, we are a people of expectations. Sometimes high expectations. I would imagine right now if I asked you what Thanksgiving is going to look like, you would have something in your head. If I asked you what Christmas is going to look like, you have some things in your mind that you want it to, you want it to be like, right? The people you want to be surrounded by, the food that you want to eat, the gifts that you want to give, the things that you want to do, because we have expectations. And it's not just limited to holidays, right? I mean, this is just kind of the world we live in. Your boss has expectations of you. Across the, the country right now, football teams are being evaluated based on the expectations before the season began. Some have lived up to those expectations, some have exceeded them, and some have well, fallen short. We have expectations of what our, how our children are going to behave in public. Sometimes those expectations leave us wanting, right? We are a people of expectations, and, and especially we have expectations when it comes to people who hold certain titles or certain offices. For example, when you go to a doctor, you expect them to get the diagnosis and the treatment right the first time. You expect them to be perfect, don't you? We would say no, but we kind of do. And that's why if you've ever gone to a doctor's office and you've left with a, I'll let you know, you kind of feel like let down, almost betrayed because I expect you to know these things. I expect you to figure it out and give me the answer. There's no one with higher expectations than the person who holds the office of President of the United States of America. They're the commander-in-chief of our armed forces. They are the, the leader of the free world. They are the public representative of our nation. And so the slightest cultural faux pas, the most silly tweet or slip of the tongue or ill-fated decision comes under intense scrutiny. Because whether it's realistic or not, the person who holds that office is in, expected to be perfect. And to be perfect, not just for themselves, but to be perfect for our country. What's truly ironic, then, is the expectations for Jesus were much, 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 much lower. People expected him to slip up. People expected him to make mistakes in what he said, in what he did. People expected him to sin. In fact, they were, they were waiting for it. They were looking for it. And the reason so many people thought that were, had such low expectations of Jesus is because they didn't actually think he was the Savior, that he was God's chosen one, the Messiah, the King of heaven and earth. And because they had such low expectations, because they didn't believe that he was the Savior, the promised King, well, they expected not much from him. 
And this morning, as we take a look at our Bible reading from Luke chapter 23, we're going to see a scene that probably fits, at first glance, those very low expectations. But as we dig into it a little bit and look a little more closely, we're going to see Jesus show us that he really and truly is the king. Let's take a look at Luke 23, beginning at verse 35. This is Jesus crucified on the cross. The people stood watching, and the rulers, Jewish leaders, even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is, the God, if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Now this might be a familiar section of the Bible. You've maybe heard it before. Although maybe not this time of year, right? As we're only five weeks away from Christmas, from celebrating Jesus' birth. We, this isn't usually the, the section of the Bible that we think of leading up to Bethlehem. But as we take a look at it, we see, they help us see that Jesus is the king, right? In case you're not super familiar, a little bit of backstory, Jesus had been betrayed by one of his closest friends. He had been arrested and, and put on just a, an illegal trial in the middle of the night where the, the outcome, the verdict was predetermined by the Jewish leadership. He was sent before the Roman governor who even though he acknowledged publicly, I find nothing that this man has done wrong at all, condemned him to death. And so we find Jesus, after all of this gross injustice, nailed to the cross, crucified between two criminals. And as he hung there, well, his enemies had gotten what they wanted, hadn't they? All those who had such low expectations of Jesus, this is what we were waiting for. This is what they wanted. But that wasn't actually enough. They watched him hang there, suffering, bruised and bleeding from the, the beatings and the whipping and the crown of thorns in his head and the nails in his hands and his feet. And they laughed. And they mocked him, called him names. But did you hear why they laughed? And did you hear why, what names they called him? God's Messiah, the chosen one, the king of the Jews. The sad thing is those are all actually names, titles that belong to Jesus. Those are accurate descriptions of Jesus. The problem is they didn't think that was the case. And so they used those words, those names, those titles. Instead of praising Jesus, they used them to mock him. Because they had very, very different expectations of Jesus. They had such low expectations, they thought there was no way he could possibly be who he said he was. And so three separate times in just these five verses, he's challenged by three different groups of people. Prove it. 
prove you are who you say you are. Never mind all those other miracles that you've done. Never mind all those amazing things that we have seen and heard. Never mind all that. You say you're the king of the Jews. You say you're the savior. You say you're the king of heaven and earth. You are God's chosen one. Prove it. And prove it by saving yourself. By coming down off of the cross. What did they really want from Jesus? What did they expect from him? They expected that if he was the king, the promised Messiah, that he would restore the nation of Israel. Not spiritual Israel, but physical Israel. That he would drive out the hated Roman government. That he would create a nation that he would rule on earth and that their lives would just be easy peasy. That, that they would be wealthy. That they would be safe and secure from their neighbors. That, that their country would be the envy of everyone around them. That's what they thought. That's what they expected. And they had those expectations because of God's promises in the Old Testament about his promised Messiah, the Savior. The trouble was, they heard those promises, and because they're, they're the spiritual promises, they heard uh, because their faith was a physical, political, earthly faith, they took the promises of God's eternal and spiritual kingdom and made them into earthly, political promises. They thought that, well, the king is going to rule here, not in heaven. They thought that, that the king was going to give them all the things that they thought would, would take care of their problems here on earth, right? The, the Roman government, poverty, war, crime, that the king would, would take care of all that and he would make them wealthy and important and famous and all these other things that, that we long for in this world but that really don't matter eternally. They had gotten everything twisted in their minds and more importantly in their hearts about who this king would be and what the Messiah would do. And as a result, they were missing out on why Jesus had come. They never imagined that the Messiah was coming for a far, far, far bigger purpose to save them from something much, much worse than middle-class struggles. The Messiah was going to come to save them from their sins, but they didn't didn't see that very well because they just didn't see their sin. They didn't see what had separated them from God. And as a result, they, they wanted the Messiah to fix the here and the now. Does that sound kind of familiar? In our world, in our country, in our society, our culture that wants a Savior to save them from what? That wants a God to protect them from what? They want a God to save them for what? A little more money? An extra zero on the paycheck? Safety, security, that, that it would get rid of this or take care of that or fix this social problem? And not that God doesn't care about those things. Those just aren't the main reason. That's why our, our first takeaway really hits at the heart of that. Many people then and now want Jesus to be 
a king that fixes the problems of the moment. Do you ever find yourself looking at your Savior with the same low expectations? Do you ever find yourself around the cross crying out, if you are the Messiah, rescue me. If you really are the Savior, save me. Save me from this. Protect me from that. Take care of this problem. We've all been there. We all have these really low expectations of God and of God the Son, of Jesus in particular. We expect that because we're Christians, life is just going to be like this fairy tale experience. That every day is going to be like living in Disneyland, where there's just princesses and, and all these good things just happen. Where there's nothing bad ever, no big bad monsters, no boogeymen, no sin. Isn't that what we expect? We expect that the blessings that God pours out on us are going to be the things that we want, that we think are important, that the world values money, popularity, fame, importance, promotions, stuff. We think, we expect that God is going to give us exactly the things that we think we need because somehow we expect that we know better than God. We expect such lowly things from a holy God, not because God is lowly, but because we are lowly sinners. We expect him to rescue us from poverty, when in reality, we don't even know what it means to be poor. We expect us to rescue us, we expect him to rescue us from our enemies when really we don't, we don't even know what it means to be persecuted. That brings us to our second takeaway this morning, that I have low expectations of Jesus because I expect him to think and see things through my same sinful, broken worldview. That's why we can't imagine why God would allow this in my life. It's why we can't imagine why God would have me struggle with, go through that. Because in our minds, in our hearts, in our world, this and that are the worst things. And God says, they're not really. And facing those struggles for a sinful heart and a sinful human helps us keep our eyes focused a little bit better, a little more clearly, a little more firmly on the one who rescues us. See, king's job, a king's job is to know what his people need. It's not to give them every single thing that they want all the time. It's to see the much bigger picture, and that's especially true for Jesus, the king. To see the, the big, 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 big picture. And to have 
far more important things than the minute-to-minute and day-to-day. Not that he doesn't care about those, but he's care, he cares far more about how all of those pieces string together and fit together and end up in eternity with him. God fights for us. He protects us. But what's cool is he doesn't just protect us and save us by like not allowing us to face difficulty. He does allow us, and then he brings us through it. And even better, our king fights for us. Because that's what kings used to do, right? They used to lead their armies into battle to fight for their people. And that's what Christ a king does. It's ironic that three different groups of people, essentially everybody there, almost, on that Good Friday was, was shouting and mocking Jesus and telling him to save himself, to come down from the cross. Prove it. But he didn't. And there's a really, really, really good reason why he did not. It's our third takeaway this morning. Jesus didn't save himself from the cross so that he could save me on it. Instead of living a lavish life here, Christ the King, he he fulfilled the expectations that God had laid out in Scripture for hundreds, even thousands of years. Right? That he was going to come and, and crush the devil's head. That he would be pierced for our transgressions. That he would be crushed for our iniquities. That the punishment that brings us peace would be on him. That by his wounds we would be healed. He didn't come to set up a a kingdom here and rule here and make everything just peaceful and joyful here in a sinful world that that simply can't happen. In fact, he didn't come here to set up a kingdom on earth at all. That's why Jesus himself said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to live and to die. Jesus came to free you and me to go on that cross, to suffer and die for us in our place, to suffer hell itself so that we never would. What good would it be if your king gave you an extra zero on the paycheck and then in a week, a month, a year, 20 years, It was all gone. And all you knew was the eternal suffering of hell. What kind of king would that be? A king who really didn't care about you. But your king does. And that's why he went to the cross. He suffered hell itself to pay for your sins so that you would live with him in his kingdom forever. Jesus didn't just fight some earthly enemies. Jesus fought the enemies that we struggle with and we lose to day after day after day. Our sin and the devil and the one we probably fear the most, death. Jesus came to fight those enemies, to conquer them, and by his death and his triumphant resurrection, he proved 
he had defeated them, that he had conquered them, that they have been crushed for you so that you, his people, are free from them. The other thief, the one on the other side, he understood all of this. Take a look at what he says, beginning in verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked him, rebuked that first criminal. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Truly, I tell you, or Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The second criminal, he understood a couple of things pretty clearly, pretty well. First of all, he knew that he was getting what he deserved. He knew that he was being punished for his crimes. And he also knew that he was a sinner who deserved far worse than the horrors of crucifixion. He deserved what all people deserve, hell. But he also understood that this guy in the middle on the cross, Jesus, he'd done nothing wrong, that he didn't deserve any punishment, and he certainly didn't deserve crucifixion. And that's why he knew he was going to see Jesus again. That's why he asked him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. See, this is a plea. This is a a request On judgment day, Lord, when I stand before you, have mercy on me. This man showed his faith, his trust in God. Showed his trust in God's promises of a Savior. That this man on the center cross was the promised Messiah, was the Savior who had come to pay for sin. And so he pleaded, he asked Jesus, on that day I stand before you, Have mercy on me. Jesus only spoke one sentence in this whole section. The only words he speaks then are words that show he is the king. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This man's body, this criminal's body would be dead and buried, but his soul, Jesus said, your soul isn't just going to sit in limbo somewhere, waiting until I come back. Your soul is going to be with me today. You, spiritually, eternally, will be with God today. Only the King of heaven and earth can make that statement. Because only the king of heaven and earth has authority over the living and the dead. Only the king of heaven and earth has the power to make such a pronouncement that your soul will be with me today. Jesus could make that statement because he knew that this man believed. That he trusted in this, that this man trusted in him as his savior that he trusted for forgiveness and peace by Jesus' death and his resurrection. This man 
trusted in Jesus, and Jesus, because he is the king of heaven and earth, because he is true God, he knew it, and so he promised him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. What an amazing comfort for you and me then to hear our king's pronouncements. The pronouncements that he makes in his word that your sins are forgiven. That you have peace. That all who believe in him are saved. What an amazing thing then to hear the kingly pronouncement that he has made you his own child through the water of baptism. What a beautiful kingly pronouncement to hear that he gives you his very body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins to assure you and give you the peace that you are with him that you are at peace with him and forgiven in his very body and blood in the Lord's supper to hear the king's pronouncement that he gives you blessings far greater than you can imagine spiritual blessings that that we can't even imagine what, a, what an amazing gift to hear our king's pronouncement that he hears and answers every single one of your prayers, even as you're speaking. It doesn't get put in a queue somewhere to be answered a couple of days later, but even as you are praying, he hears and answers. What an amazing gift it is to know that our king, when he makes a pronouncement in his word, it is sure and certain. And that's our last takeaway this morning. That all of God's word and all of God's promises are true and certain because he is the king. We often have expectations that are not very realistic. It's kind of who we are. And that's because, well, we are sinful people, and we are surrounded by other sinful people, and we live in a sinful and broken world. No one is perfect. No one, that is, except Jesus Christ, our King. He lived a perfect life, and he gave his perfect life on the cross to fulfill the expectations, the promises, the demands of God so that he could save us forever with him. And we know that he is the king because he lived and died for us. He fought the battles we cannot and now he makes these amazing pronouncements and they're all sure and they're all certain. So as you leave here today, do so with certainty and confidence. Do so trusting God's got this because my Savior He's the king. He's the king of heaven and earth, and he knows what I need. He's taking care of my greatest need, and he will take care of my daily problems, my daily needs, until he brings me to be with him forever in paradise. God give you the strength to cling to that trust, that hope, that promise, today and every day. Amen.